It's an issue that came up last week as I was preaching. It caused such a, there was a word I used that caused such concern here that uh, multiple, multiple people came up to me with this look of, I can't believe what you said. And the word was strategery. Many of you, when I used the word strategery, you looked at me and, and I saw the look on your face. And, and those of you that saw me after the service, it was almost like I was back in English class. And every person said, you know that's not a word. I want you to hear me clearly on this. I know it's not a word. I'm well aware that it's not a word. But I, I heard it in a skit a number of years ago. I thought it was funny. And so I thought I'd throw it in. I do know that strategery is not a word. And there are other words that I'm not quite sure if they're words or not. And when I hear them, you can confront me on those as well. But, uh, but anyway, we continue on. And, and, and in life, there are consequences. There are consequences to, to different things that we do. And as we take a look at Joshua 7, we're going to see the consequence of a person's actions. Let me give you a few examples. First, sometimes the consequences are not so obvious. Pretend you're a junior high guy and you've just discovered the wonderful smell of Axe deodorant. You decide that you'd like to use a half a can of Axe deodorant one morning. Consequence, no one can stand you at all, and they stay away from you a minimum of 15 feet. When I was doing student ministry for all those years, an axe came out, we would go on junior high retreats, and I could not enter the room because axe smelled so much in that room. It made my eyes water. Here's another consequence. I don't know if you do this or not, but sometimes I play the game of how far can I go driving when the gasoline needle is at empty? So you've played that game before, right? How many of you have done that before? Consequence, when you run out of gasoline, you're in a lot of trouble. Make a phone call, get help. Another consequence, another consequence that's out there. And actually, I'm getting ready to celebrate the 30 years of this consequence. Don and I had, had just started, well, we had not even really gone out on a date yet. And so I, we, it was our first date, I showed up, and Dawn had agreed to make dinner, and so I showed up at her apartment, and I'm, I'm very hungry, and I said, I said, so what did you make? And Dawn looked at me and said, it's a surprise. So I took that as a challenge. I began guessing what the surprise was, and every single time I guessed, it didn't work. It wasn't the right thing. You would think at this particular time, I would say, just wait, just wait. But that's not my style. And so I asked again. I guessed. It didn't work. And then I said this. I certainly hope you didn't make lasagna. Because my mom makes the greatest lasagna on the planet. And nobody's lasagna is as good as my mom's. So, Don and I have been married almost 29 years. We've had lasagna twice since then. <laughs> consequences, they happen. We can chuckle at some of the consequences, but there are other consequences that are much more difficult and much more painful to deal with. 
And I invite you now to, jo- to, uh, to go to Joshua chapter 7 in your Bibles. You can scroll there on your phone, or, or if you're using the Bible in, in one of the racks in front of you, get to Joshua 7, and it's on page 182 in the Bibles in the pews. We're going to pick up the story in verse 16, and yes, I'll go back and refresh our memory about what, what led to this event here. But we start at verse 16, and we see these words. Early the next morning, Joshua and Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward, and the, Zechariah, the, the Zorahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zorahites come forward by families, and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against Yahweh, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before Yahweh. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word, we would pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us, that your Holy Spirit would open our ears that we can hear from you, that you would open our eyes that we can see your message of restoration, that you would open our minds so that we can understand more fully the consequences of our actions and how we desperately need you to restore us. And that you would open our hearts so that we would be transformed by your work as you walk us through the consequences of our actions. Father, we love you and we thank you and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be lifted up and that no one would hear anything I say, but only what it is that you desire people to hear, that you need them to hear, and that you, Lord Jesus, would receive all glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The Israelites had just wrapped up conquering Jericho. We talked about this last week. It was an impressive victory. It was so, so impressive that, that, according to Scripture, they didn't have to do much at all. The walls came down. They went in. They got what they needed to get. And so there's this, there's this euphoria going on. There's this victory going on. There's good news going on all around the place. And God said to them before they went into Jericho, said, don't take anything. Don't take anything. Leave it all alone. Don't take it. And then they come to find this out. That compromise, just a little compromise, leads to big trouble. And that's what we encounter here when we come to Joshua chapter 7. And what ends up happening is the Israelites, and this one particular Israelite by the name of Achan, decides to play a childhood game that many of us played growing up decided to play hide-and-seek, with the emphasis staying on hide. He hid. He hid what he took. And there are consequences to that. When we begin to believe that we can play hide-and-seek from God, we're forgetting that God really sort of knows what's going on. 
I invite you to flip a few pages to the right, go to Psalm 139, and listen to these words from the psalmist because because playing hide-and-seek with God is not a wise way to go because God already knows what's going on. Listen to these words from the psalmist in 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. We can't hide. We can't hide. We can try and hide, but we can't hide. And what's going on here as we open up in in Joshua chapter 7, again, everything's going really well. Everything to this point in Joshua has been nothing but good news. And then we hit that word. We hit that one word that means things are about to change. And it's the opening word of chapter 7. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. That one word changes everything, but. It means something's happened and we're now going to go in a different direction now. And so we lay this out and we pick it up again in verse 1. So they, some, the, they were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so Yahweh's anger burned against them. Now Joshua sent from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bet-Avan, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. We know information that Joshua doesn't. We know that something's gone wrong. Joshua's not aware of this. And so Joshua sends the troops out, and they go out and they spy out the land of Ai. And we pick it up in verse 3. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, and we'll stop there. The Israelites thought, just like we think, the Israelites thought that any conflict that comes their way, they can navigate it without God's help. Notice who's absent in this little conversation. The way, uh, as we read Joshua chapter 3, verses 6, the Ark of the Covenant is there. The Ark of the Covenant is present. But notice, and and the Ark of the Covenant, remember, is God's presence. His presence is with them. But as you read these words, all of a sudden you realize somebody's absent. Joshua sent men from Jericho, and he said, "Go go up and spy out the region. 
when they return, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two, send two or 3,000 men to take it and do not weary the whole army for only a few people live there. The Israelites thought they could handle anything on their own. Not all the army will have to go up against it. Only send a few thousand. There aren't many people that live there. God is absent in this conversation. God is absent in this decision. And it's just like us. Things get going really well, and for some strange reason, we think, you know what? We can handle this. We've got this all figured out. We're going to be just fine. And so we leave God off in the distance. The story goes that a woodpecker was, was doing what woodpeckers do one day, and, he was, and he, was, he was woodpecking on a mighty oak tree. He was so focused in on, on what he was doing that he did not realize that this huge storm was coming up. And he kept pecking, kept pecking, kept pecking. And then all of a sudden, lightning struck and split the oak in half. The woodpecker flew back to his friends, the other woodpeckers, And they're sitting around the dinner table that day, if they have dinner tables as woodpeckers. And they're talking about their day, and all the all the different woodpeckers are talking about they did this, they did this, they did this. And he was as quiet as quiet could be. And then the conversation turned to him and they said, So what did you do today? And the woodpecker looks at him and says, Come with me, and I'll show you what I did today. So they flew off. And there's the mighty oak split in half. And the woodpecker looks at him and says, that's what I did today. What do you think? The woodpecker took credit for something he should not have taken credit for. He began to believe that he was bigger than what he really was. And that's what happens in all of our lives. And and what ends up happening is this, is that life always has a way of rattling us. It always has a way of rattling us. They go up to Ai. We pick it up in verse, in verse 4. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. The town, the name of the town Ai means this, heap of ruins. They looked at it, the Israelites looked at it and said, this is no problem for us at all. We can do this on our own. When we begin to venture away from God, what ends up happening is even small things in our lives can become large problems. And that's what happens here. For the first time in Joshua's book, in the first time in this book, for the first time we read that the Israelites are melting in fear. Up to this time, the only time that melting in fear has been used is all of the Israelites' enemies. They now are melting in fear. It should not be that way. They should have great confidence because God is their God. God is taking care of them. Yahweh is involved there. But they get routed. They get routed, and at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear. As we decide to steer away from what God calls us to do, as we decide to steer away from being involved with Him and, 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 and being in communion with Him, fear is a consequence. All of a sudden, things that shouldn't shake us up, shake us up. 
We pick it up in verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of Yahweh, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Yahweh, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out, get this, wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Look closely at the prayer. They're in trouble. And Joshua is saying, why did you bring us here? It's interesting, when we decide to keep God outside of our lives and a crisis happens, we then say, why did you do this to us? It happens all the time. And so Joshua is pleading his case, and I love the way he ends this. He says, he says all these countries will surround us and wipe out not your name, but our name from the earth. We get so caught up in ourselves that we forget about who we're to be about. But then Joshua catches himself, I think, and he says, what then will you do for your own great name? That's the dilemma. He's down on the ground. He's torn his clothes, and, and, and they've thrown dust on their heads. And this is the way, back in this day, this is the way they grieved over wrongdoing. And so what he's doing is very natural. And so he cries out to God. And now we pick it up in verse 10, and we learn this very quickly, that God desires restoration, not, reg- not resignation. Yahweh said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down in your face? Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have, made, they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. You cannot stand until they're removed. Joshua is down on the ground and he is, he is just mourning and grieving over what's happened. He has no idea. Remember, we know what's happened. Joshua has no idea. It's because it's all hidden. And here's the reality that God is driving home to Joshua. And it's a reality that all of us face all the time. And it's this. Sin always hurts. No sin, no sin promotes better living. No sin whatsoever. Sin always hurts. And what's interesting here is that, is that the consequences of Achan's sin affect so many other people. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But sin always hurts. It does far more damage than we think it's going to do. Growing up, my dad smoked a lot. 
And when I was about eight, nine, ten years old, we were out on an errand, and my dad lit up a cigarette, and my dad, uh, my dad's smoking, and, and I looked at my dad, and I said this to him. I said, Dad, when do I finally get to start smoking cigarettes? And my dad looked at me. My dad looked at me and didn't take the cigarette out of his mouth. It stayed stuck to his bottom lip. And so he's looking at me, and I'm just watching the cigarette bounce up and down as he's talking to me. And he says this, John, if I had known how hard it was to quit, I would have never started. I use that as an illustration for this. If we had ever known how hard it was to quit sinning and the damage that it did, we would have never started. If humanity had ever known how much harm they were going to bring to themselves, we would have never started. Sin does that. It always hurts. And so in the process of it hurting, here's what happens. We grovel, we get sad, and we should. We should, we should grieve over these things that, that we've done something wrong. But I love what God says here in verse 10. He says, stand up. Stand up. And at that point, all of a sudden, we realize something different is about to happen. We can sit there and we can grieve, we can grovel, we can do all these different things about our sinfulness. But God says... Don't, don't just keep doing that. Stand up. I'm here to restore you. I'm here to bring life into you. I'm here to help you. Many of us right now spend a whole lot of time groveling over sin that's been paid for. And God says, stand up. I'm still here. God says, I'm going to take care of you. And we can even get a direct, a direct tip from James chapter 4. Flip there now, a number of pages way to the right. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. But in James chapter 4, listen to these words. It's almost as if James is, is reflecting back on this incident that, that's going on with the Israelites. And in James chapter 4, verse 7, listen to this. It says this, Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. See, that's what's going on with Joshua. He's grieving, he's mourning, he's wailing. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. We live in a society today that laughs about sinfulness. As a matter of fact, I think all of us, myself included, have laughed at times about sinfulness because we don't want to accept the fact that it's a lot bigger issue than we realize. So grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And here's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful verse. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. When we accept the fact that sin always hurts, 
when we accept the fact that He wants to restore us and not have us be resigned to to ongoing uh, depression and, and discouragement when it comes to our sinfulness. When we realize that He wants to lift us up and we realize that He's for us, everything changes because here's the thing, God always lifts His people up. When we turn to Him, He says, I'm here for you. And that's what he's telling the people back in Joshua. He's saying, he's saying, listen, get right. Take a look at what's going on in your lives, and I'll take care of you. So we continue on. We pick it up in Joshua chapter 7, verse 16. Early in the morning, early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by the tribes, and Judah was chosen. And he goes through this way of figuring out what's going on. And it's a it's a it involves choosing lots and things like that. And the lot eventually falls to Achan. Verse 19, Then Joshua says to Achan, My son, give glory to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. And notice the next phrase, Do not hide it from me. At this point, Achan has a decision to make. I've hidden it. It's cost the lives of 36 people. What am I going to do now? And so Achan responds and says, It's true, I have sinned. I've sinned against Yahweh, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. And look at this. When I saw, remember what I said earlier? A little bit always leads to plunder, leads to a bigger problem, leads to big trouble. He saw. Nothing wrong with seeing, but notice what he says. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Notice the next line. I coveted them. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. One of the Ten Commandments. Do not covet. He saw. He covets. And then what does he do? He takes. That's what happens. We see. We covet, we take. It starts small. We think that we can manage sin. We think that we have a grasp on it, that we, can, that we can handle it. But the thing is, when sin gets involved, it has a way of weaving in there, and we end up going to places we never thought we should go, we never thought we would go, and it ends up causing damage far more than we ever thought possible. I coveted them, took them, They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sends the messengers. They go and investigate. They go and investigate the situation. They bring the stuff back to him, in essence, saying, it's true what he's just said. Verse 24. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had, to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? Yahweh will bring trouble on you today. The question is this Achan's the only one who sinned here, right? No. Everybody in his family knew about this. It would be impossible for him to hide this stuff underneath the tent without the family knowing this.
sin has a way of having us think that it's telling us the truth when it's a big lie. And one of the big lies that we have is this, is that there is such a thing as personal private sin. And I'm here to tell you, personal private sin does not exist. It just doesn't exist. It doesn't exist because sin involves, it impacts community. Aiken's sin led to the death of 36 individuals. Aiken's sin had bigger consequences than he ever anticipated it having. Imagine when the report came back, and you're Aiken. The report comes back that 36 of your friends have died. Nobody else knows what you've done, but you know what you've done. And you know that you went against what God said. Private personal sin is a lie. When I sin, it affects every relationship I have in my life. It affects my marriage. It affects my parenting. It affects ministry. It's because sin does that. Sin always has bigger consequences than we think. It always does. And as long as we think that it's only about us, we miss out on the impact that it has on the community. And this is what happens here to Achan. You pick it up in the latter part of verse 25. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then Yahweh turned from his fierce anger. Therefore the place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. And Achor means trouble. There are consequences to our actions. There are consequences to our sinful acts. And they are big consequences. And how do we know sin has big consequences? Consider what Jesus Christ did to pay for that sin. That's a big consequence. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And when you get there, Go to verse 21 and listen to this. Now remember what I said just a little while ago, that God is about restoration, not resignation. God is about bringing us up. God is about forgiveness. God is about healing. God is about taking care of us when we have gone astray. God says, I'm still there for you. I'm still there for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Listen to these words. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin has an impact on those around us. Our sin has an impact in our relationship with God. And what happens? God doesn't sit there and say, I'm not going to do anything about it. God did something about it and he sent Jesus Christ to pay the price that we deserve to pay. 
And he paid that price so that we could have forgiveness. Notice what it says here. God made him who had no sin. Jesus Christ was perfect. Never had a sin. Never sinned. Never once even crossed his mind to sin. He did it perfectly. And yet he went to the cross to pay for your sin and my sin. We can read the story of Achan and say, well, why didn't Achan, why wasn't it just Achan who was taken care of? It's because sin has a bigger, broader impact than just simply Achan. We deserve this, we deserve the penalty, but yet it impacts so many other people around us. And Jesus Christ came and he said, I came to rescue you. Some of you, some of us in this room right now have never experienced that forgiveness. We're racked with guilt. We're racked with shame. We're racked with an uneasiness around us. We look around at the impact that our sinfulness has had on our relationships and we're hurting. We don't know what to do. We feel hopeless. We cry out. We're helpless. We're crying out and God says, Stand up. I came to rescue you. I came to restore you. All you need to do is turn to me. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not some, but all. We're going to have a few moments here of intentional silence. And in that silence, I want you to think through what's going on in your life right now. Where's Jesus Christ in the midst of it? If you don't have, if you haven't placed your trust in Christ, I invite you at this time to, to respond to Him and say, Lord, I need you. I need you in my life because I need your forgiveness. And he'll do that very thing. So please join me as we pray. And then I'll wrap this up here in a moment. Father, in the midst of this stillness, we ask that You would help us once again to understand perhaps a little bit better what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. Lord, we confess to You that Oftentimes, we find sin fun. And we don't think much about the consequences until later on down the road when we see broken relationships and broken lives because of what we've done. Father, we ask that you would have mercy on us. Have mercy on us in such a way where we realize that You want to restore us. 
And Lord, we confess to you that we've tried to restore ourselves in countless ways. And we've not taken the time to look to you and say, please restore me. And the great thing is this, is that you have because of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we ask that you would help us. We ask that not only would you help us, but that you would restore us through the powerful grace that Jesus Christ brings through the shedding of his blood that forgives us of our sins. Lord, for those in this room right now who do not know you, we would pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would continue to prompt them and continue to remind them that you are real and that your love is real and that your restoration is real and that you've paid the price to bring us restoration. So Lord, do your work in our midst and have mercy on us for the countless times that we've chosen to go our own way. And we pray now that you would help us move with you and say yes to you and experience a forgiveness unlike any other because it's a forgiveness that is real. It's a forgiveness that lasts for eternity. Lord, do your work. And we thank you for Jesus Christ. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand now as we sing a couple more songs and and reflect on these words.